0: Well, it is good to be in the house of the Lord with the people of the Lord today. Thank you for being here. It's an honor, it's a grace, it's a kindness. Let's take a moment and let's thank the Lord for his goodness as we begin today. Father, I come to you now humbled um, because we we come desiring to hear from you. Um, We open our souls, our spirits to hear your voice, Lord. We want to have ears to hear as the scripture teaches. We want to have eyes to see. And most of all, we want to have hands and feet that do according to your will. Um, God, all of these things uh, are a part of what it means to be human. We want to hear from you. We want to see your way. We want to walk in your way. That's the way you made us to be, Lord. We want to learn how to be ourselves today. So would you speak? Would you speak? We are listening in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Brothers and sisters, my... First born baby girl I was getting married in two weeks, I realized this week. And uh, that makes me feel a lot of things, but mostly it makes me feel old. Um, but that's okay, because growing old isn't all bad, though you may have been told otherwise. Uh, There is some knowledge that can only come to you through experience. Amen. Uh, There are some truths that become real to you only as you get older. We have talked about some of these in the the past, but they came to mind as I was preparing uh, a few examples. Uh, I wonder if there's anybody in here that is old enough, that has lived long enough to know that beautiful is different than pretty. Now, when you're young and pretty, pretty pretty really matters. Um, but as you get old and not as pretty, um, you come to appreciate the difference between beauty and pretty. You come to realize there's always a little ugly in beautiful. There's you realize that beauty always comes with some scars. Beautiful has seen some things. Beautiful has been through some things. Uh, there are some beautiful friendships in here, but they ain't always pretty. There's some beautiful marriages in here, but they ain't always pretty. Okay? Uh, so sometimes you just got to live a little while, and that starts to sink in. I wonder if there's anybody in here that's lived long enough to know that joy is different than happiness. When you're young and you have the energy to bounce around from one thing to another, doing whatever makes you happy, uh, and it will make you happy, and after you do that for a while, you realize that happy is temporary, but joy is everlasting. How many of you have been lived long enough to know that a celebration is different than a party? <laughs> Look, I'll be honest with you. At this stage in my life, I don't wanna party like it's 1999 or any other year for that matter. Um, <laughs> The whole idea of a party sounds exhausting to me these days, (laughs) but a celebration I can do, all right? I can do that because you party in order to forget, but you celebrate in order to remember. Now, now just to be clear, we're going to celebrate on March 16th, all right? I'm not saying I'm too old to bring a little something-something to a celebration, you know, (laughs) I still got a little white man's overbite in me, you know. (laughs) But I am too old to party. Now, with that said, how many of you are old enough to know that there's a difference between simple and easy? I used to think life was complicated. I used to think relationships were complicated. I used to think that people were complicated. But as I've gotten older, I've learned that life is pretty simple, and people are real simple. People are motivated by pretty simple things. The world operates on some pretty simple principles. I'm coming to find out that life is pretty simple, but simple has got nothing to do with easy. All right? This is a principle we really need to buy into today. As we continue in our sermon series in the book of 1 John, in fact, I would like you to turn in your copy of the scriptures, um, and you will need a copy today. If you, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, we've got some over on this table over here. Uh, there's probably an usher nearby. If you want to raise your hand and you need a Bible, uh, we'll have somebody just bring one to you. Um, if you want to use your phone, that's fine. Whatever you want to you do is good. And by the way, if you need a Bible, you can keep that one that's coming around. If you need it, raise your hand. Uh, we're going to turn to 1 John chapter 2, verse 7. Uh, we're going to begin reading in verse 7 <clears throat> in just a moment. And here we're going to be reminded that what Jesus asks of us in this life is pretty simple. In fact, it's very simple. Actually, in the Gospels, there are a couple of passages where Jesus boils everything down and asks of us uh, one thing. He boils it down to one word. And I imagine there's some folks that lived here long enough to know what that word is. What is that word? Love. 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 At the end of the day, that's the sum of every command that Jesus gave. That's the sum of the law and the, and the, uh, and the prophets, Jesus says. In Matthew 22, there's a scene where Jesus is asked to summarize the scriptures I said, what is the summary of the law? What is the summary of the prophets? And he says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. Love. That is the summation of the law and the prophets in the mouth of Jesus. That is the summation of all of Jesus' life and teaching. Love. Love for God. Love for people. That is simple, but it ain't easy. So following Jesus means walking in love, a passage um, uh, that, that, that the passage that Jacob, Pastor Jacob so beautifully preached last week ended this way. It said, by this we may be sure that we are in Christ, that we belong to Christ. Whoever says I abide in him ought to walk as he walked. We're going to walk in this world as he walked. Now being a follower of Jesus, we're going to find out today means walking through this world In love, because that's how he walked through this world, in love. And if you're a follower of Christ, I know you want to walk in love today. If you're a follower of Jesus, I know you want to learn what it means to walk in love, to live in love, to speak, to think, to act in love in this world. If you're not a believer here today, I want to welcome you. I'm thankful that you're here. I want you to see what it is that believers are aspiring to, what we aspire to is to love as Jesus loved, to walk through this world as Jesus walks. That's what it means to follow him. Amen? Now, I have uh, tasted enough to know that Jesus is good. So how do I get, here's my question, how do I get a little more of the good life tomorrow than I had today? How am I going to walk a little more like him tomorrow than I did today? See, this isn't just something that we're doing because we, we're afraid of going to hell. It's because we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And we want more. We're hungry. We want to indulge in love. We want to learn how to do that. But I know from trying to love that as simple as that word is, it's not easy. And it's one of the most difficult things to do. Um, love ain't easy. And that is what our passage is going to help us with today. Uh, It's going to walk through four reasons why love ain't easy, but how to make it a little easier, how to walk in it, how to get more of that good life. All right, with that said, let's turn our attention now to 1 John. Chapter 2, you heard this earlier from our, our brother Brandon. Thank you, Brandon, for assuring us the grace of Christ today. Uh, open up in your Bible, if you would, to 1 John, it's towards the end. Chapter 2, verse 7 through 17. I'll be reading from the New English translation. And if you are able and willing, would you stand with me at the reading of God's Word? Dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have already heard. On the other hand, I'm writing you a new commandment, a new commandment, which is true in him and true in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says that he is in the light, but still hates his fellow Christian is still in the darkness. The one who loves his fellow Christian resides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his fellow Christian is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So I'm writing to you, little children, that your sins have been forgiven because of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, that you have known him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you, young people, that you have conquered the evil one. I have written to you, children, that you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, that you have known him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, young people, that you are strong, and the word of God resides in you, and you have conquered the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him because all that is in the world, that is the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, the arrogance produced by material possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away with all its desires, but the person who does the will of God remains forever. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. That's the word of, word of the Lord. Please be seated. Jesus. So, four things today about why love ain't easy. Why love ain't easy. First one of those is because love is a command. Love ain't easy because love is a command. We see this in verses 7 and the beginning of verse 8. From the jump, right at the very beginning, if you noticed in our text, John is describing love not primarily as something we are to believe or do or even feel. But he's describing it as an act of obedience. There is a command. There's a command that always was and always will be, and that is to love. Now, our fallen mind, our fallen hearts don't do well with commandments, right? This is not the instinct of our flesh to deal well with commandments. We are given to deal with them in one of two ways. We are given to deal with commandments when we receive them, especially when they come from on high, they come from God. We are tempted to deal with them either in a way of license or of legalism, okay? License or legalism. If we respond to commandments from a perspective of license, what that means is we are presented with a command from God and we rebel against that. And we say, I'm going to do what I want to do. And in this case, dealing with love in particular, God or nor anybody else should be able to tell me what love is, what love looks like, how I should love people, who I should love. I have a license to control that in my own life, to set those standards for myself. Does that make sense? That's what license is. So it's a rebellion against a command. That's one way our fallen flesh deals with commands when they come. But legalism is kind of the opposite, but an equal temptation. If we feel we must submit to the command, and let's be honest, a lot of times when we receive, if we're church folk, right, and we got church parents, and we got church friends, and we got church people. We kind of feel like we don't really have an option for license, right? Like the, the social cost is just too high for that. So I've got one other place where my flesh can be active in that moment. And if we feel we have to submit to the command, I'm going to be sure that, I can, that I'm going to submit to it better than you. Harder than you. I'm going to be hardcore on this command, and I can't help it if you just kind of, you know, weak on it. It's an opportunity for me to gain a foothold over others, right? My, through my obedience. So John, as all the other New Testament writers, is writing to. We need to be reminded, as we were earlier, even today. He's writing to a multi-ethnic audience. What that means is you got people coming from all kinds of backgrounds. We're going to see also in different ages, different places of maturity. They're all in one church. And those Greek believers that have come, that are coming from different temples, different gods with different laws and different rules, they're going to be facing some stuff from their people, right? The people that they left, maybe their families, maybe their friends, and they're going to be facing things like, are you going to hang with those people that are going to tell you what love should look like? How love works, how it operates, who to love, who not to love, how to love them, all that kind of stuff. Are you going to submit to that? Are you going to be one of those kind of people? All right. And at the same time, there are people within the church that are Jewish converts that are coming from the, a Jewish background. And they're going to feel pressure also from their people. But their pressure is gonna be one towards legalism. Are you really gonna align yourself with this no account rabbi? Are you gonna align yourself with this new teaching? Are you gonna be blown about by the winds of doctrine? Are you gonna be, uh, 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 just just come along to the newest thing or are you gonna hold to the old paths? And as it happens, most of us are tempted as we hear this command to love in one way or the other to, in the same way today. Are you more given to license or legalism? Where's the pressure points in your life? Who are the people that are breathing down your neck? Maybe it's yourself. Why are you breathing down your neck down that certain path? When you hear a command from God, especially a command to love, what, what, what happens in you? You need to know yourself. You need to judge yourself. What is the tendency of your flesh? Is love something you want to define for yourself and control for yourself? Or is this command to love a weapon, another weapon in your arsenal that you can use to control others or to make yourself feel better and more superior than others? Which is it for you? See, this is why love ain't easy. Because God commands us to love. It's not a suggestion. Uh, It's a commandment. And it's hard for us to even conceive of love being something that could be commanded. But John has some help for us in how he leads off this passage by saying, in effect, that love is not a new command. It's an old command that is made new in Christ. It is what it always was. Leviticus 13 says, You must love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. It's a command. Deuteronomy 6.5 says you must love the Lord your God with all your mind, your whole being, all your strength. You must. It's a command. But this command to love is made new in Christ who says in John 13, I give you a new commandment to love one another. Just as I have loved you, listen now, just as I have loved you, You are also to love one another. Everyone will know by this that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And we're going to talk more about that passage in a moment. That's an important passage to understanding love. It's an important passage for love to not be so difficult in our lives. And there's a key phrase in that passage. I don't know if you caught it. As I have loved you, so are you to love. There's a way to avoid both license and legalism when it comes to the commandment to love, and that is to come to the understanding that love begins with God. At the end of the day, love is not about you. It's about God. God is love. Love is from God. The scriptures teach us that we love because God loves us. We don't get to define love because love comes from God. We don't get to use love as a weapon because God gave it to us freely who did not deserve it. We don't get license or legalism, and we don't need license or legalism if we can receive the love of God, if we can understand that love originates with God and it comes to us as a gift. Love ain't easy because God commands it. But it can get a lot easier as soon as you realize that love really isn't about you all that much. It's about God. It's about God. And we benefit from this gift that He gave. But there's a second thing that makes love hard for us love ain't easy because it's a commandment, but love also ain't easy because it drags you out into the light or it plunges you in the darkness. We see both of those in this passage that we read. We're going to be looking at verses 9 through 11 and then also verses 15 through 17 for contrast. This passage reveals a reality that makes love hard if we read all the way through it. There is good love and there is bad love. How many of y'all are old enough to know that there's good love and there is bad love? There is a love that brings you out into the light, gives you life, gives you freedom. And then there is love that plunges you into the dark and binds you up and leads you ultimately to death. Love ain't easy because God isn't calling you to a life. Now, hear me out through the end of this, okay? He's not calling you to a life of indiscriminate love. He is calling you to order your loves. He's calling you to take care where your love is placed. And that makes love hard. But if we listen to John, he has some help for us. But we're going to have to do a little bit of Bible work to see it. Are y'all up for a little bit of Bible work? You okay with that? Okay, make sure you're looking at a Bible, all right? If you have one, if you don't have one, you need one. Let's look again at two sections of our passage today. Let's start with verse 9. Our Bibles that we pass around are in the ESV. If you have an ESV, it reads like this. Your your translation might be similar. It says, "Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes." Now, let's contrast that bottom that 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 section with a, that section down at the bottom that begins in verse fifteen. Again, in the ESV, do not love, do not love, do not love the world or things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now, there's a contrast between these two sections, isn't there? There's a good love and there's a bad love described. We are called to love in the first section and not to love in the second, second section. You see that? It's saying you can love, you can love the world, you can love the things of this world, but don't you do it. That's a bad love. There is a good love at the top and there's a bad love at the, at the bottom. What's the call to love at the top? Verse 10, love your brother. Don't hate your brother. Love your brother. The call at the bottom is not to love the world, specifically the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. So, the lesson becomes clear for us. Love people, do not love the world. Okay? Now, there's no doubt that's what John means for you to walk away from. in this lesson. That's the lesson John wants you to walk away from in your mind after reading this passage. Love people, do not love the world. Do not love the things of the world. Love people, love things might even be a good way to say it. It's a good lesson, and that's hard, because people are hard to love. Things are easy to love, right? I don't need help loving things. Nobody has to help me out to say, here's how how you can love some things in your life. Here's how you can love some material possessions in your life. just want to help you out. I know it's kind of difficult to really set your affections on things. There's no problem in that for me. I have no problem with that. Um, But loving people, especially some people, that's tough. I really don't know how to do that. I I, I try to start, and I fail immediately, five minutes in. So how do I do that? I need help with that, and John offers help. But that help can be a little hard to see, and this is interesting, and just something we need to be aware of as we do our Bible work. That can be hard to see depending on the translation that you're reading from. I began, there by, uh, I began today, actually, by reading from the New English translation because it helps us better see what John is teaching here. Let me read again verses 9 through 11 in the NET that we read at the beginning here. The one who says he's in the light but still hates his fellow Christian is still in the darkness, The one who loves his fellow Christian resides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his fellow Christian is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. See, brother can become a little more generic, can't it? In the NET, we see better that verse 9 through 11, John is calling Christians to love other Christians. You'll see that, a fellow Christian The fellow Christian, not to hate other Christians. Now, does that mean that John wants us only to love Christians? That's the people we have to love and not people in general? Heaven forbid, because Jesus told us that even our enemies we're to love, right? That's not what he's trying to teach us. He's teaching us, but I think he is teaching us something very important, and that's how to become a person who actually can love your enemies, How to become a person who actually can love all people well. I think he's giving us a lesson. He's giving us a pathway. See, I don't need help this morning, pastor. I don't need help this morning knowing how to love things. But I need some help knowing how to love people. I need some help knowing how to love my enemies. I need some help knowing how to love enemies of the God I love. I need some help. And John is providing a pathway for me, I believe. Because standing behind John's words here in 1 John are the words of Jesus that John records for us in his gospel, John 13, that we read earlier. I give you a new commandment, says Jesus, to love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And listen to this. Everyone will know by this that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You will begin to love everyone if you love each other first. Everyone will be able to feel the love of Christ for them through you. How? In your love, when they see your love for your family and faith. They see your love for the church. They see your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. I see a pathway developing here. Jesus has called us to love our enemies, and that flies in the face of every instinct of my fallen body, right? Okay? Now, how is that supposed to happen? I think God has made a way for us. He's made a path toward becoming someone who could love even their enemies, and here's the path: love your fellow Christians. Love each other in the church. That's how, you're, that's how the world will come to know the love of Christ by seeing first your love for one another. How in the world are we going to love those who hate us if we can't even love each other? How in the world are we going to love those who hate the God we love and when we can't even love those who share in the Spirit of Christ with us together? Now I feel drug out into the light on this point. Because I'll be honest with you, I can go around places and I can talk about how the church ought to love people outside the church. And I can use a lot of ugly language to talk about my brothers and sisters and how they have failed to love as I have loved those outside the church. And I, and, and I, and I feel a little bit of that legalism we talked about there earlier, right? That's being drug out in the light. See, I know how to do that. I'm willing to pay that price. I'm willing to love those out there that don't love the Lord. And these sorry jokers in here, you know what I'm talking about? Come on now. You know what I'm talking about? Here's what I think Jesus is saying through John. Remember, this series is called, it's called My Little Children. It's the father heart. John's an old man when he writes this. He's, he's communicating the father heart of God to us. And I think the Father heart of God wants us to know something, and that's this. Folks outside the church, folks who don't love Jesus, they are not going to be attracted to Jesus by you running down your brothers and sisters. And y'all, I've made that mistake. I've tried to appeal to those outside of Christ by running down those that are inside Christ. And I think Jesus is teaching us that's not going to attract them. I think that's telling them, that's some weird folk in there. They can't even love each other. I don't want none of that. He's saying they're going to be attracted to me by being evident how much you love the church in her brokenness. I'm not saying we don't acknowledge where we have gone astray. I'm not saying we don't acknowledge that. I think we try to keep that as much in-house as possible. Sometimes that has to come out, but it's called outhouse for a reason. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like not great. We don't want that, right? We want to keep that in-house as best we can. Sometimes it has to. Sometimes we got to call it what it is, and we got to recognize those things. But those things can be recognized with love in our heart. Does that make sense? People can still see that we can't go where some of our brothers and sisters are willing to go. We don't think that's what the scriptures teach us. We can be clear about those things. But we can also be clear about uh, the state of our heart, right? A lot of times we are clear about the state of our heart, and it ain't good. And I think sometimes we do that because we want to communicate with people outside of the faith. I'm wondering if maybe it doesn't communicate what we want it to communicate. Maybe it doesn't commend Christ. Love ain't easy, is it? Love ain't easy. It drags you out in the light. Or it can plunge you in the dark. You've got to have your love set right. You've got to have your loves in order. Love ain't easy. But There's another reason outlined in this passage that love ain't easy, and that's this, because love, real love, is real power. <laughs> real love is real power. And that's where we get to verses 12 through 14. See, in our flesh... We can say what we want to say when we come to church on Sunday, but in our flesh, we do not believe that love is power, that love is powerful, um, that love is the supreme power. We operate in the world by what we really think. We think really that strength is power. We think that leverage is power. We think that money is power. We think influence is power. And all those things do give us a kind of power. And all those things Christians are responsible to use uh, responsibly, right? And responsible to use in such a way that is affected by the gospel. But in the end, all those things are coming to an end. All that kind of power is coming to an end. What does verse 17 say? The world is passing away with all its desires, but the person who does the will of God remains forever. We don't have to wonder about the will of God. Love is the will of God. God is love. God is love. And love is the only real power in the universe. Because all the power that we can glean here and gain here is passing away. So, those kind of powers don't need to be how we spend our time and attention. We need to spend our time and attention focusing on where, where real power resides, and that's in love, because as we know, that's what endures, right? Even faith will pass away, even hope will be unnecessary one day, but love will never be, love will never pass. God is love. Love is the only real power in the universe, and we have a really hard time believing this. And so John feels like some repetition is needed to convince us. Let's read again verses 12 through 14. Again, in the NET, I'm writing to you, little children, that your sins have been forgiven because of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, that you have known whom uh, him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you, young people, that you have conquered the evil one. I am writing to you, children, that you have known the father. I am writing to you fathers, that you have known him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, young people, that you are strong and the word of God resides in you and you have conquered the evil one. This translation makes clear that there are Three kinds of folks that John is talking to, and he's he's repeating them again and again. First uh, category is little children. The second category we might call young people. The third category are fathers or older people, sages, um, uh, uh, those that are that are uh, older in the faith. Many commentators believe that John is speaking here to make sure that every sp- every stage of the spiritual journey is represented, and a lot of repetition. Is, he is he is he is. He is repeating himself because he wants you to really hear this, right? I was telling somebody this week, I had a principal when I was teaching school that would say everything on the intercom three times. It didn't matter how long the announcement was. He would say it three times. Sometimes you got a long announcement that could take like 10 minutes. And we're all just sitting there in class waiting for him to get through. It drove me crazy. It drove everybody crazy. I finally asked him about it one day and he says, listen, nobody hears you until you say things three times. And that's true. That's pretty true. People really don't hear you until you said it three times at least, right? Researchers say it's more. So I think that's what John is doing here is repeating himself because he wants to emphasize some things. And he wants to make sure that everybody, and that's another thing that's good about this translation, is because it's telling us. He's talking about those that are young in the faith, those that are are a little bit older, but kind of teenagers in the faith. And then those that have been around a while, he's talking to those. He's an older guy himself. He's talking to those older saints as well. He wants to include everybody in this, this encouragement that he has. And he's saying, little children, I'm writing to you because I want you to know that you know the father of all things. In Christ, your sins are forgiven in his name. So let the devil do his worst. He has no power over you because love is real power and God loves you. Young people, I'm writing to make sure that you know you are strong because of the very word that God, uh, the very word of God that resides in you by Jesus' name. You have already conquered the evil one. Let him do his worst. He has no power over you. Fathers, mothers, sages, in your heart, you know him who is from the beginning. Who can dismiss you? Who can put you out to pasture? Let the devil do his work. He has no power over you. Well, love ain't easy. Right? Because we tend to think that love is weakness. And so we'd rather give our time and attention to that we think is strong. But love is strong. Love is strong. Love in Christ is strong. Don't let the devil fool you. Last one. Number 4. Love ain't easy. Because love is made true. I don't know if you saw this in verse 8. I kind of skipped over verse 8. I want to come back to it now because I really feel like it's kind of the heart of this passage. When John says in verse 8, On the other hand, I'm writing a new commandment to you. Okay, so what he said, if you recall, let me set the stage a little bit. He said, this is not a new commandment that I've given you. This is an old commandment. Remember Leviticus. Remember all those old passages that said, you got to love. you got to love. This is a commandment. This is nothing new. So for all those uh, older Jewish saints that are facing, you know, those people telling you you're, you're listening to some new teaching that is, uh, that is blowing you astray, he's saying to them, trust me, you are holding to the ancient paths when you hold to love. But on the other hand, I want you to know that that commandment wasn't complete until Jesus came. On the other hand, I'm writing you a new commandment, that that old commandment is made new in Christ. So on the other hand, I'm writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and true in you. And you can know this because the darkness is passing away. And the true light is already shining." Man, there's a lot of stuff happening in this little bitty sentence here. Let me just try for a minute to get our heads around a couple of key things. One is this word true. I want to talk about that in the Greek. I'm not going to try to pronounce and do all that kind of stuff, but the root of this word has to do with non-concealment, right? If something is true, it's brought out into the light. It's not concealed. There's a revelation of the truth, right? That's what the very word in Greek is kind of based on, this idea of not being concealed. So on the other hand, let's read it again that way. I am writing a new commandment to you in which something is revealed, right? Something is revealed. Love is made true. Love is is revealed. It's demonstrated. It's shown. It's shown. All the stuff that makes love hard is because it's one of those words, right? It's one of those words that's just in our vocabulary. We think we know what it means, but we really don't know what it means. Now the veil is taken off. It is made true because we can see it. It's made true in him. It's revealed in Jesus. It's revealed in his life and how he lived it. It's revealed in his, the death that he died on the cross. It's revealed in him getting up out of the grave after the third day, and it's revealed in his ascension to heaven. In Christ, love is revealed. We don't have to guess anymore. It's hard because we've been guessing, right? But now we don't have to guess. So love is revealed. It's made true in him. But y'all get this. It's made true in you. It's made true in you. That's why it's so important that we remember, always remember, the work of Christ. The work of Christ is his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. That's the work of Christ. His life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. A lot of times we leave that last one off, right? But why is the ascension important? Why is that essential work of Christ? What did he say? He said, I have to go away. Why? So the Spirit will come. And then love will be revealed In you. The love that was revealed in Him is now able to be revealed in you because the Spirit of the Living God resides in you. The love that was from the beginning resides in you. Now you can love. Now you can do that which is so hard. Not gonna be easy, but the more we submit to that Spirit in us, the more love becomes natural. It becomes part of who we are, right? So love is made true in Christ, and it's made true in you. It's revealed in you. So the more of the Spirit that is evident, the more the presence of the Lord is all over you like a stink. The more you make love true, the more you reveal love to the world, And then the last thing I want you to know is there's some evidence that is pointed to here. And the evidence is in present tense. You see that? So how do we know that love is revealed in Christ and also revealed in you who has the spirit of Christ in the world? How do we know? Because the darkness is passing away. Look around you, the darkness is passing away, says John. The darkness is passing away. That's happening. And I want to testify, we don't always recognize because we watch the news and it seems like everything's going to hell. And we don't pay attention to the works of the mighty works of the spirit around us and the miracles that are represented even in this room. Miracle on top of miracle on top of miracle. Because we're too busy worrying about, you know, the world's going to hell, y'all. It's going to hell, right? And we don't have eyes to see God working around us. The darkness is passing away. God doesn't work like he works. He doesn't work on our, like we work. He doesn't work on our timetable. The darkness is passing away. We don't have to worry about that. It is happening. But it's happening, that present tense reality is happening based on a past tense reality, right? What's that? The true light is already shining. Love is operating in us now based on something that's already happened. So that, here's what this tells me. And this is a phrase that I love to use. When we go out, to fight. And John Perkins says that love is the final fight. It is a fight to love, right? It's a fight to love yourself. It's a fight to love those that you ought to love. It's a fight for sure to love those that you don't want to love. Love is the final fight. That's the only fight that matters, right? But we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory the darkness is passing away because the light is in us and we don't have to worry as to whether that's happening or not it is it is but it's happening not based on how good we do it or how good we look doing it right it's based on the light that was already shining before we came to be and after we will pass from this earth, should the Lord tarry, right? Because we are but a breath. And this, his work is not dependent on us and how good we're going to love. His, his, the, the darkness is passing away because the light is already shining. So we can relax. And you know what makes love easier? Is you relax. the You rest. You have the Spirit in you, and you sit down. You rest in his arms. Amen? We're going to end with a song uh, that we're actually going to sing during communion today. One of my favorites. Come on up to the house. Right? Come on up to the house. And it has some great words that we don't always sing in church. Words like, come down off that cross. We could use that wood. Talking to you and me. We don't have to be martyrs, do we? There's already somebody up on that cross. He already got down off of that cross, and he got out of the grave, right? So we don't need to be martyrs. We got better things to do with that wood. Relax a little bit right? Come on up to the house. Come on up to the house. Sit down a spell, have, have a meal. You know what I'm saying? Come on up to the house. Relax. Everything's going to be all right. The Spirit is with us. We can love each other, right? We don't have to agree to love each other. And in that spirit of rest, y'all, there is some mighty battle happening. There's some mighty good work happening. The light, The light is pressing forward, and the darkness cannot stand before it when we love. Let's get our band to come forward, our servers to come forward, our ushers to come forward. And as they do so, let us prepare our hearts for just a moment in prayer. Let us stand on our feet if we could, because I want the blood to be flowing a little bit. Sometimes we take communion together, and we do so reflectively, and we do so Thinking about our, um, it's you know thinking about all of our failures and all the ways that we have uh, failed the Lord, and that's appropriate and we should. But there's also times when we need to take the Lord's Supper from a place of victory, recognizing that God isn't and isn't this a glorious truth? God doesn't need you to be perfect. He just needs you to be His. He needs you to give way. He needs you to give up. He needs you to sit down. He needs you to rest in him and let him work through you. I'm thankful for that this morning. So it's good for us sometimes to come to this meal, not fighting for victory, but fighting from it, right? Let's do that, and let's pray to that end, and let's take communion today uh, with that spirit in mind. Father, we come to you now recognizing that we are weak, but you are strong recognizing that we are given to uh, all kinds of uh, 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 failures, but you never fail. We recognize that we are given to despair, but in you, hope always comes new every morning. Um, We have to sleep. You don't have to sleep. We have to toil. You don't. Father, we give ourselves over to you. We want you to have victory in us. We want to love as you have loved in this world. You have loved your own. You've loved the least of these. You've loved your enemies. You hung on the cross and you said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That is what you've given us to do in this world. Teach us to receive your love so that we can love others in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need to receive the love of Christ today, I want to ask that you would not let this moment pass, but you would come forward. Myself, my wife will be down here, Heather, with me. You can pray with either one of us. We'd love to pray with you and communicate God's love for you. Um, If you need to come down here and lay something down so that you can stand back up and you can take of this communion, enjoy, fighting from victory rather than for it. I want you to come down and leave that thing at the altar. Leave it down here so that you can get up and walk in freedom. Don't let this moment pass. Don't let this moment pass. Don't let this moment pass. Rest. Sit down. That's what faith is. It's resting in Christ. Come on up to the house. Come on up to the house.